You're listening to Managing Leadership Anxiety, Yours and Theirs, a podcast offered in partnership with Missio Alliance. Each episode, we discuss internal and relational pressures, how they block effective leadership, and how we can move through them to a greater health. And now your host, Steve Kels. Well, friends, here we are in 2023, and even though lockdown and COVID and all of that is over two years behind us, really coming up on three years soon, I think most of us are still trying to sort out where we are, how we are doing, and and really how to build a new sustainable pace. I I would have thought that by now we would have figured it out. I, I don't think we have. That's why I'm really thrilled to have my guest today, Sean Nemechek. Sean is a pastor. He's also a coach to pastors. And he just recently released The Weary Leader's Guide to Burnout, A Journey from Exhaustion to Wholeness. Uh, Sean has his own journey of burnout that we'll get into in the episode, but he's written such a helpful book to help people figure out what is burnout, how do I know if I'm on it, what are some of the tools to get out of it. And I love the title, A Weary Leader's Guide. So if you're feeling a little weary today, I think Sean might be the balm for your soul. Sean, welcome to the MLA podcast. Thanks, Steve. It's such an honor to be here. Your your writings and everything have uh, meant so much to me. It's it's nice to be able to give back a little bit. I've really enjoyed connecting. You know, most of our connections, of course, have been like off the record. We, we've mm-hmm. been in coaching groups or emailing back and forth. But I, I was thrilled to have you come on the show because, you know, I know some of your journey. I think it's just going to be so helpful for listeners. I, I wonder if you might be willing just to start by just sharing your own journey into and out of burnout. Yeah, so I, I'm a third-generation pastor. I started uh, as a pastor when I was uh, 26. I had just completed my first year in seminary toward my MDiv and decided, uh, yeah, I'm ready to be a full-time pastor. <laughs> uh, and then over the next six years, uh, finished my degree part-time, driving back and forth 90 miles to seminary two, three times a week. Um, after a while, uh, the pressures of seminary education, uh, conflict in the church. Uh, My wife had a health scare, actually pretty major uh, battle with breast cancer in the middle there. Um, I had a number of things going on in my personal life that were incredibly stressful. And uh, over time, as I got to know people, I started uh, uh, experiencing lots of funerals in the the church, Mm -hmm. and I was burying friends and didn't really have a way to process grief in a healthy way. Um, And so there were a number of factors, uh, layer upon layer of things that were contributing to my unhealth. Um, And then a young woman in our church who was part of a small group that I had started uh, was killed in a car accident um, while I was in a counseling session with her brother. Oh, gosh. Uh, and so I walked with that family through that experience real time. I drove him to the hospital and was there for everything. Um, and that that just broke something in me um, and started me on a long slide over the next six years or so uh, into burnout. Um, my burnout was... Uh, Largely a result of not dealing with grief and stress, but there was also an environment of criticism uh, within the church. I had uh, a critic who did not want me to be his pastor and would do everything he could uh, to 
to either discourage me, to uh, discredit me, or to try and get me fired. And when I was at my lowest, uh, I was working harder than I ever had, but producing less than I ever had. Um, he uh, launched an all-out attack, um, and uh, that turned into what felt like an inquisition. And so I'm at the depth of my burnout and also feeling this uh, this intense um, hypervigilance, uh, just feeling like I was going to lose everything. Uh, this was after the housing market crash and the community, rural community we were in hadn't recovered yet. And so there was just stress upon stress upon stress in that space. Um, and it was there that I, I realized uh, there's something deeply broken in my soul that needs to be fixed. I, I found myself uh, answering criticisms with, with immediate defensive responses that did not sound like me. It was, it was like an out-of-body experience almost, you know, um, just being really critical and really defensive um, and just not managing my own anxiety at all uh, in any way. And uh, that experience really scared me um, because I am, I'm usually a very calm person, gentle person. I, I don't uh, panic easily, and yet I had two panic attacks during this time. Um, and so I, I did a deep dive into uh, what's going on in me and started reading anything I could get my hands on. Over the next year, I read 86 books <laughs> in this this area of uh, burnout and leadership and all the different things related to it um, and didn't have anybody to help me out. I had to kind of find my own way out of it. And so it was a long, long journey of over a couple of years of really doing the best work I could to try and figure out what was going on in my soul. But uh, it was, that was the darkest time in my life, I think. Yeah. So, the, the, the journey out of burnout um, was one where I had to build a team of people around me. Um, I went to my doctor and told him what was going on. He told me, you need to take a year off. Uh, I said, I can't do that. I, I don't have any other way to make a living. And so he said, get as much rest as you can. Uh, I found a friend that I could talk to regularly. I uh, asked a local pastor if he would mentor me. Um, I hired a ministry coach, a counselor, and a spiritual director, and I met with all of these people uh, at least once a month uh, for for the first four to six months to start, and then many of them continued for, for years afterwards. Um, but it was that that group of people around me uh, and the work inner work that I was doing that really helped me out of burnout, and uh, the pastors around me started asking questions. Uh, What's different about you? You really seem healthy. Um, what's what have you changed? And so, those informal conversations turned into kind of informal coaching for many years. Um, and then, after eighteen years in ministry, we decided it was time to to move on from that place and do something else. Um, and uh, I eventually joined PIR Ministries, where I now coach pastors full time. About eighty percent of the pastors I coach, I'm coaching through burnout. Uh, and helping them just find health again. So it's been quite a journey. Sean, as I listen to the front end of your story, I guess I would summarize it like you had such an unusual onslaught of really tragedy 
and then the criticism became the straw in some ways that broke the camel's back. Um, was burnout inevitable? Can anybody carry and experience the grief and loss you carried without burning out, do you think? Um, if they're able to handle grief and process their grief well, I don't think they'll burn out. But if they were like me, um, if, they, if they don't have the tools uh, to process grief, uh, if they don't have the tools to differentiate from the criticism and the toxic emotional environment that was there, um, and then on top of that, the, the level of personal um, stress around finances, being a pastor in a small rural church was not helpful. <laughs> um, my wife's battle with breast cancer and some of those other major life things. Uh, I think it's really hard to avoid burnout if you don't already have uh, a deep uh, level of self-care and soul care already in place. Yeah, that's that's what I'm wondering. I, I was interested to note that you made a comment that it was a six-year process. Um, th there has to be either warning signs along the way or it's like you're crashing through the barriers. What were maybe two or three of those barriers where you're like, oh, man, uh, I can't seem to get off this road, but I'm definitely in trouble before you actually drove off the cliff? Yeah, I think I actually burned out three times. Um, the, the first two times were very low-level burnout that I was able to change a couple of things in my life and recover. So walking with my wife through her breast cancer journey, uh, it was a year of chemo and radiation and many surgeries, and um, that was exhausting. But getting on the other side of it, I was able to pick up pretty quickly again. Um, and uh, at the same time, we had some major conflict in the church that was contributing to that. When, when Amy got sick, all that conflict went away because people were like, oh, this is more important. Caring for our pastor and his family is more important than this conflict. So uh, I was able to recover pretty quickly just by making a few small changes in my life. Um, it happened again uh, around the time I finished my seminary education, the years of driving back and forth and, and doing all that study. Uh, I just needed a breather. I, I didn't have any rhythms of rest and work uh, in my life at that time. It was just go, 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 go. And so I pulled back for a little bit. Uh, we went on vacation, took a break, and things recovered for a little bit. The, the third time in burnout, though, I learned... Um, through this long, slow slide into burnout, that over time, there were a lot of things that were showing up in my life that had I known about them as warning signs, I would have been able to, to get off the burnout uh, slide a lot earlier. Um, things like uh, just chronic headaches. Um, uh, I was dealing with extreme stress, but uh, it was showing up in my body in so many different ways, pain in my neck and my shoulders and my head, um, digestive issues. I was having trouble sleeping. Um, I couldn't shut my brain off at mm. night. Um, th there were nights where I would lay in bed for three or four hours before I finally fell asleep out of complete exhaustion because I was so worried about the things that were going on and the, the different conflicts I was in. 
Um, there, were, there were all sorts of different uh, uh, symptoms there. Uh, one of the biggest ones was uh, I was just being ineffective in my work. Uh, I said earlier I was working harder than ever, but producing less than I ever had. Um, and my board noticed that. Um, they noticed something's not right. Sean's sermons aren't quite as good. He's just not leading as well. He's not being productive. They thought I was being lazy um, and challenged me on that. They didn't ask what's going on, how can we help. They, they said, Sean, here's some things that you're good at, and then spent the next 45 minutes telling me what I needed to fix, which didn't exactly help the situation. Yeah. Um, so there were, there were a lot of different uh, symptoms like that that were showing up. Uh, one of the major symptoms that shows up in burnout is uh, cynicism. Mm. Um, I was just being cynical. I didn't see any way forward. I, I was hopeless. Um, I knew I was called to this work, but I just wasn't seeing fruit in the work because I was so tired. Um, and so that led to this kind of cynical approach to everything and uh, a lot of anger. Um and it was generalized anger. I didn't really know where this anger was coming from at the time. I was just angry at myself, at others, at, at the whole world. Um, now, I've always been good at hiding my anger and stuffing it. So uh, most people didn't see that. It didn't come spilling out very often. Um, but when it did, it was bad. Um, so, yeah, there were, those were just a few of the symptoms that, that I was experiencing. A lot of our listeners are pastors like us. Obviously, we have all kinds of people who listen to this, but we, we are a podcast to, in an effort to bring relief to pastors. <laughs> Part of that effort is for pastors to feel seen, you know, by our conversations. It's a lot of what I think this podcast is about. I'm just listening to you and just reflecting in my own life on... Um, it's hard to say this, Sean, because I never want to make it sound like, oh, pastors have it so hard. Because I think every vocation has unique challenges. I, anytime I see the principal of my kid's school, I pull him aside and say, I don't envy you. I pray for you. I think about you. He's a public school principal, but he knows I'm a pastor. Just because, man, what a tough job he has, especially through COVID. But when I think about pastoral care, and, and the list, like it felt like you were so trapped because you're burying people you love while leading your team through the grief of that. And still, here comes Sunday. The scholarship during the week required not just the scholarship, but the performance skill. I used to have a public speaker who was a member of my church for a while, and he, would, he had one message that he'd, had, he'd given for 20 years. And to his great credit, he had figured out how to create an amazing message. He traveled all over the world and gave that one keynote. And he's like, I don't know how you guys do it, a different keynote every week. <laughs> I'm mm -hmm. like, right, yeah, thanks. It's, it is kind of a, a treadmill. But then you have your board measuring your effectiveness through efficiency, leadership skill. It does seem in some ways an untenable job. What's your take today on the, on the pressures on a modern pastor? Yeah, so I was a solo pastor um, in a rural church, so I didn't even have an assistant, an administrator uh, of any kind. I was working, my team was entirely volunteer. Um, and so, yeah, I think the, the nature of pastoral ministry, like all leadership, can be isolating. Um, 
There's just something about being responsible for the whole organization uh, that that makes it hard. Uh, that that leads to this sense of uh, isolation, and it's hard for other people to understand the weight that you're carrying. Um, I've talked with pastors who, when they stepped out of uh, the leadership role, the, the lead pastor role, they said, "Wow, what a weight uh, has come off of me." And I felt the same way when I stepped out of ministry. Um, there, there is a weight of responsibility that pastors carry, and I think that weight is heavier because we place eternal significance on it. Right, I think uh, that's you, right. You know, so it, it's it's not just that we're leading an organization, but that we're caring for souls. Um, and there's also the the reality that church culture in America, especially is uh, is shaped by um, the American culture, which is one of burnout. Uh, we don't treat people like humans. We treat them like commodities. Um, and more and more pastors that I'm talking with uh, will say to me, you're the first person that treated me like a human being in mm-hmm. a long time. Mm-hmm. You're the first person that just listened to me, and I didn't have to be in some sort of ministry mode with them. They didn't want anything from me. Um, and so... Th- that can be isolating the way that pastors are put on a pedestal. Uh, we have these job descriptions that are really impossible for any one person to, to fulfill, and yet we're expected to do it all. Um, and eventually we're going to fail at that because we're being pushed into this mold instead of uh, looking at us as who we are and the strengths that we bring to the role and building a, a ministry around those strengths, we're expected to do a little bit of everything. And it's draining. It's it's impossible to, to fulfill that. As you came out of co- uh, burnout, one of the key aspects for you was a relational team. Uh, our mutual friend, Glenn Packiam, talks about um, the, the counsel that every pastor needs, and he kind of likens it to Lord of the Rings. You know, we need a healer, we need a king, we need a friend. I, I found that so helpful as I looked at the relationships in my life. Like I have my friend group, I have an amazing spiritual director, uh, and they each play, they do play a different role. And then hopefully, of course, I'm playing one of those roles in others' lives too. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really appreciate that this this general theme of who sees you as a human being? Um, who can you take your pastor hat off and just be yourself? As you know, sure, my wife Lisa is a trauma therapist and the way she describes it is we're always walking into every room with our antenna up, scanning, can I be exactly me in this place? And then we mm-hmm. decide, can I be me? Can I not be me? And one of the challenges of being a pastor is that there's rare, rare spaces where we can be exactly ourselves. So I, I feel like the way you fleshed out the relationships and that, that makes sense. I'd love to hear your thoughts on rhythms. You've hinted at rhythms, but that sounds like that was also a huge piece for you. Um, what rhythms have you incorporated into your life post-burnout? Yeah, so I first started to learn about rhythms. Um, ironically, when I was a young pastor, I went on a missions trip to India and the pace of life was so different there. Um, and I, I noticed their relationship to time was completely different than we have in Western culture. And uh, it, was, it was startling. It was striking to me. And then when I got home, I noticed something different, that, that 
the people in India, even though I was in very poor areas, they were smiling all the time. Hmm. And I got back to the United States and it was hard to find a single smiling person. Um, you know, just looking around, everybody had this sense of weight and the frown on their face. And I started to ask what's different um, and started to relate to time differently then. Um, but it took me a long time to realize that for me, especially the the amount of emotional output and stress and things that I do require uh, an equal amount of recovery time, uh, or at least the depth of recovery within my soul, uh, that, that you can't continually go, go, go until you've learned to rest and go and work and rest have to be in rhythm uh, of almost equal uh, proportion. Um, that was a game changer for me, uh, learning to create margin in my day so that I'm not going from one meeting to another to another. Uh, most of the time I'm scheduling meetings at least a half hour apart now so that I can have time to collect my thoughts from the first one, uh, center myself and prepare for the next one uh, has actually made me so much more productive than I was before. Learning to take a regular Sabbath rest uh, was huge. Pete Scazzaro's books really helped me with that. Um, and developing uh, what a, a Sabbath should look like, not just a day off, but a day of, of life-giving uh, friends and activities and places and uh, just something that, that energizes me and recharges me and helps me connect with God on a deeper level. I also learned I needed to take uh, one day off a month uh, just to uh, I, I do kind of a monthly examine uh, where I look back over the past month and just ask, where did I notice God? Where did I miss God? And then I look forward to the next month and, and ask, where am I likely to experience God's presence easily? Where am I likely to be ambivalent toward God and uh, need to be more careful? And um, that really helped me to get into a regular monthly rhythm of reminding myself uh, that ministry flows out of my relationship with God. It isn't just my gifting at work. Um, and that was that was a, a huge thing for me, that um, before burnout, uh, I was just relying on my gifts. I'm a pretty good speaker. People would tell me, you should be in a bigger church, and uh, I, I'm capable at, at leading, um, but I wasn't doing that out of relationship with God. My relationship with God was separate from my leadership in many ways. And uh, burnout taught me that um, ministry isn't about just using your gifts. It's actually about expressing the love that God has for you uh, through you to others. And if I'm not in deep relationship with God and caring for my soul, then I'm not ready to care for other souls. I'm not ready to lead people to follow Jesus if, not, if I'm not abiding in him first. Um, and that, that was what made all the difference for me. Yeah, you're talking in some ways about almost a simple, I wouldn't say mathematical, Sean, but a simple check of input and output. Yeah. Uh, as I'm hearing you, you're, you're very intentional about measuring your output and measuring your input. Um, maybe the more mystical way to say it is uh, Bernard of Clairvoy. He talks about, uh, look, are we a reservoir? Or are we a pipe or a conduit? 
conduit gives away everything it has. The reservoir fills itself up and gives over the overflow. And what I'm convicted by is, is Bernard ends that little metaphor. He says, be careful not to be more generous than God is, which is mm. really an arresting thought that I'm actually pouring myself out, believing it's for God, all the while God's saying, what are you doing? Like, what are you, what's that all about? What's your reaction to that? Oh, yeah, that's that idea has been so important for me. Um, not just the idea of filling up first, but also recognizing my own limits, uh, where they are, that there are, there are some minimum limits we all have to live with. Uh, like we need a certain amount of sleep, a certain amount of food, a certain amount of time with God and relationship with God that just to, to survive. And then we also have some some maximum limits. We only have so much energy in a day. We only have so much focus. Um, there's a certain amount of decisions that we can make and, and do well before we start to get decision fatigue. So recognizing those limits, um, recognizing where my energy is best during the day so that I can bring my best energy to my most important work and doing a lot of that that work around clarity is all about managing energy and rhythms. Um, so for me, that is, is largely the key to this whole thing is, is recognizing um, what energy I have available to me from God and how I can resupply that through relationship with him and relationship with others uh, so that uh, I have my best self to bring to the world. Um, because if I'm not coming to the world with the best of me, then they're getting something that's off, something that's broken. I think Chuck DeGroat talks about us bringing our, inflicting our dividedness on the world if we don't do the inner work of wholeness. Um, and so that's, that's really what I'm trying to do is making sure that, that I'm as clear as I can be about what I need to be healthy so that I'm bringing a healthy me to the world. Let's get down to um, some really practical things here, Sean. Let's say someone's listening to this and they're really resonating with what you're saying, both sides of the journey. Maybe they're saying, oh, I'm, I'm heading toward it. Or what I found true to be in my life, I might be listening to this podcast and I might say, I actually don't know where I am. Mm -hmm. I, I can't tell if I'm on the path to burnout, on the path to health, because pastoral ministry is always intense. So how do I even know? Um, where I think the rubber hits the road for a lot of people is money. You, you mentioned yourself, your doctor said, Sean, take a year off. And you looked at him like, what world do you live in? I can't do mm -hmm. that. And then, of course, you were in a church context where you had no confidence the board would work with that. Um, what's your advice to pastors on the church budgeting for the pastor's soul care and well-being, how do you guide pastors to begin that conversation with their church? Yeah, that's a really hard one because pastors don't want to be seen as greedy. Yeah. Um, and there's often a culture within the church. I actually heard one board member within a church say, we keep our pastor poor to keep him humble. Yeah, gosh. Uh, that's just, yeah. it's toxic. It's dangerous. Um, I think scriptures make it clear that we need to pay uh, the pastor well enough that their needs are provided for. Uh, so if a pastor is living week to week, if they don't have basic health care, um, then these are things that create stress for us. Uh, our financial burden was largely the result of my wife's 
journey through breast cancer and the thousands of dollars that we owed because of that. Now, we had Christians from every continent uh, on the planet sending us support and help and, and really helping us out, but it still took almost 10 years uh, to dig out of the, the financial weight of that, uh, which coincidentally was right around the time I burned out. <laughs> so yeah, the financial piece is, is a part of it. Um, but I, I want to be clear that it's really the weight of the culture of, that, we, that we work in that creates burnout. It's, it comes from uh, a toxic workplace culture um, where we aren't getting the level of support and encouragement that we need. Um, there's a, an inventory that's designed to, to measure a pastor's level of burnout called the Francis Burnout Inventory. Uh, and basically it asks, is there enough positive emotional experience in this ministry to outweigh the negative? Uh, and most pastors would say no. Um, and so that's really the, the heart of the issue. Do we have enough people speaking into our lives who are encouraging, who are strengthening, who are helping us? Have we built a team of people around us to help us with that? Not a team of yes men, but people who are, are genuinely helping us find the courage we need to minister. Um, if we don't have that, then all of these other things around us become additional weights, like our finances, like trouble in our marriage, like uh, difficulty uh, in, in our body and physical issues. It can be any number of things uh, that come at us. And so uh, burnout can feel like it comes from a hundred different directions, but it's really rooted in the, the workplace culture that we have. Uh, and one of the things I'm trying to do is trying to change the culture of churches uh, and help them see just as your pastor cares for you, you need to be caring for your pastor. Uh, and many people don't see that. They expect the pastor to be able to care for themselves and to be superhuman in some way. Um, but one of the greatest gifts that I received as a pastor was a friend of mine, a guy in our church, invited me over and he said, tonight, you're not pastor. You're just going to be Sean. We're going to have some hot dogs. We're going to have a campfire and we're just going to relax and in enjoy one another's presence. And that was a, such a refreshing, beautiful gift um, that many pastors don't have. The, uh, when I talk with pastors who are in burnout, I ask them, uh, how many friends do you have? Good friends who are safe people, who know you well, who can speak into your life and, you know, say the hard things, but also say some good, encouraging things. And right. most of them say, I don't have anybody like that. Mm. Uh, that's a problem. Uh, and so really the, the idea of... Uh, of what causes burnout, uh, we can look at a hundred different things, but at the root of it, it comes down to not having the support network that we need to manage the shame, the anxiety, the anger, the frustration that comes along with um, the the difficult things in leadership. Yeah, I'm just going to take a chance to testify here because there were, there were two key people in our church that helped with this. Um, the first was the chair of our elders. His name was Jeff. We we had uh, a situation where the eldership rolled. We had people rolling on and off each year. So therefore, our chair also rolled. And it took us years to realize, in our case, I had these really great chairmen and chairwomen, but every year I would have to adapt to a new boss. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and the chair would have to learn how to be the chair. Like it wasn't a one-way thing. Um, and so we, we changed some of that system just for everybody's well-being. But Jeff was one of my earlier chairs when I feel like I was still very insecure, learning a lot. I was on that uphill climb of, of ministry. And Jeff, it was very clear for him. He just kept saying to the elders, our job is care for Steve and Lisa. Their job is care for congregation. That's how it goes. So, Because I was caring for my elders the way I was caring for everybody. And he... Mm. He really, and his, he said it was almost pragmatic. Like if Steve's well, then everything's well. If Steve's not well, nothing's well. And it's not egocentric. It's just unfortunately the nature of leadership. Um, the other guy was a person who's not part of our church named Doug. He's a ministry partner of ours that helped us borrow money to build a building. And he was a so-called outsider. Our, our elders knew Doug because we had partnered with his organization but he still took time to come and meet with our elders and very gently say, look, Steve's not leaving. He's not threatening to leave. And I'm not here as a threat. Just want you to know if he were to leave, here's what another church would pay him. And it was a significant gap between what I was being paid and what I was so-called worth. What's interesting about that, Sean, and the reason I'm taking a chance to talk more than ask questions I didn't know what I was worth and nor did my elders. They were not robbing me. They were not tight, we were all ignorant together. Mm-hmm. Because you you mentioned pastors don't want to be seen to be greedy. That was probably number the, one of the biggest things for me, especially when we went through financially tough times as a church. I, I was like, I can't take a raise if, if we're tight or if, the, if other team, I, I had a staff, if other team can't get it. And just for an outsider with an objective point of view, with no agenda, to come in and say, here's about what this position should be paying and this postcode and this housing cost. And, and then that became quickly verified when we looked for an associate and the three top candidates asked for more salary than I was making in the associate mm-hmm. role. And we all kind of woke up. It's my long-winded way of saying to people listening, who can come in and advocate so you don't have to? And also because this is a systems theory podcast, just to warn us to not automatically blame the people who simply may not know better. Now, yeah. when, when, a, when a board member is saying, well, let's keep you poor to keep you humble, I just, I think I would fight that. I would, you know, mm. if I was a pastor, I'd say, let's talk about that. Because are you humble? How, how humble are you? You know, like, <laughs> um, because the original question, Sean, was um, using church budget for pastoral well-being. And you moved it through a lens of, oh, pastors don't want to appear greedy, but any well-being that's being paid for me is not going to me. It's going to someone who's caring for me. You know, it's a, it's a, yeah, it's yeah. interesting. It's not like I'm asking for more money so I can have an opulent vacation. I'm probably paying a council or a spiritual director or something like that. So there's um, there's a lot of shame connected with that too. Uh, yeah. For me, um, I was carrying a lot of student loans at the time. Um, and it was really hard for me to be honest about the need, uh, that I was experiencing, how it was hard it was for me to make ends meet because I'm ministering in a rural culture where everybody's hurting, where the financial crash of 2008 hit deeper and lasted longer than any other community around us. Um, and people are getting laid off and, uh, yeah, it's, it's a hard environment, but I also learned over time, that it was my job to advocate for 
good pay because I'm not going to be there forever. I have to advocate for the next guy. I have to make sure that the church is going to be in a position where they can afford to pay another pastor should I leave. Um, it's not about me um, sacrificing and uh, over-spiritualizing my, my income. Uh, it's actually, I have, I have a responsibility to advocate for the next pastor and to create as good of an environment here as I can so that the next pastor doesn't have to experience some of the difficulties that I did. And so I began speaking about it in that way. Look, guys, if, if I leave and you call another pastor, here's what you're going to have to pay in order to afford that. If we're not willing to, to put that into the budget from year to year, then it's going to be quite a shock. Um, they got partway there. Um, uh, things got a little bit easier toward the end, but um, still was a long way off before, uh, before I left. And the next pastor who came in is struggling with the same things. Mm. Um, so you're right. Mm. Uh, we do need to be really careful about that. It does seem like there's also a way to appropriately help your board or maybe your congregation understand the unique challenges of the role you know, th there's no other vocation in those pews that is burying a dear friend on a Saturday and then immediately guiding grieving people through it on a Sunday. Like there are unique pressures. I, I remember my church was incredibly gracious to give us a three-month sabbatical. It was amazing. We then instituted a sabbatical for every staff member, whether you're mm -hmm. a secretary or a pastor. If you're on staff, you're eligible for sabbatical. Because we just recognized even if your church job is Monday to Friday, you're still Sunday. It's just there's no yeah. you, you don't get to walk in and just worship. Someone grabs you and 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 also of course, Sean, you and I are focusing on some of the darker side of ministry. We could do a whole episode on the what's genuinely the privilege and the joy. Oh so yeah, absolutely. We're, yeah, we're not I don't mean to be sounding like, Oh, how hard is this? But um, I listened to a sermon, a friend of mine sent me a sermon of a pastor the day before he went on sabbatical. And this was helpful for me as we were preparing for ours. And he simply got up in front of his church and he talked about, here's what we'll be doing. And, and he said, at one point, he said, you know, some of you have come up to me and you mean well, and you're just teasing, but what you're saying is, oh, I wish I could have a sabbatical. And, and then the pastor just stopped and he just said, I wish you could too. And let me say this, if somebody offers you one, you should take it. So yeah, yes, absolutely. I wish you could have a sabbatical because I think this would be amazing for everybody in this culture, but somebody has offered one to me and I'm taking it. And I thought, mm -hmm. oh, this is wonderful. Just what a great way to reframe kind of that idea. And then he went into, you know, some of the unique challenges. He says, look, I'm not complaining, but when I go to the grocery store, um, people stop me in the aisles because I'm not there to get bell peppers. I'm a pastor. And I've had that happen to me a number of times. I'm sure you have too, Sean. And it's the, my, my wife and I have sat down and said, which one of us is going into the store based on how much time we have? Because if I go in, it's likely that I'll be stopped. And I don't say that with any complaint. I just say that for the civil engineer to say, I've done marriage counseling in the grocery aisle and you, pr you probably haven't civil engineer, you know, you've got your own challenges. Um, but yeah, just to throw that out there. Yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned sabbatical. Um, over the last six months or so, I've done more sabbatical planning with pastors. There are more churches offering sabbaticals for the first time and I've been helping them, uh, 
navigate how do you do that? Um, so much so that uh, we're working to develop a whole sabbatical planning toolkit for churches to know how, how to go from nothing to being able to offer a sabbatical for their pastor. Um, that is an incredible gift, but you're right. It's something that in Scripture, this, the Sabbath year was offered to everyone. It was something the whole community was expected to participate in, though they didn't do that. Um, it's it's something that, that should be available to everyone. And I think businesses are finding that this is actually good. It's it, it increases productivity across the board when people are able to get good, healthy, restorative rest that makes them more creative and productive for their work. Mm. Well, Sean, um, as I suspected, I've run us up on time. So <laughs> I've got two more questions. One is just a very simple one. And then I'm actually just going to ask you one gauntlet question, knowing how profoundly you fear the gauntlet. Uh, <laughs> we're just going to end with one. So before we get to the um, what I'm going to call the robust gauntlet question, um, if if a pastor's listening to this, obviously it makes sense how the pastor might get in touch with you. I'm going to have links to you on the show notes. Um, it, you're easily Googleable. What about if a pastor wants you or PRI to come and guide their church or their board? What would you recommend there? Yeah, they can get in touch with us either with me through uh, my websites that I have uh, or go to pirministries.org and uh, just request some help. We have uh, a whole uh, way of, of walking uh, both pastor and church through this process. Um, we have a sample sabbatical policy that we can give to a church that they can kind of pick and choose what works for them. I doubt they'll adopt the whole thing, but um, and we're happy to walk through why this is important, the biblical foundations for sabbatical, um, and then we also work with pastors to help them uh, with their sabbatical planning, whether it's on the front end or we do coaching through sabbatical planning. So we could spend six months going through the, the plan once a month uh, or even offering coaching during their sabbatical to help them work on what uh, what changes they need to make to have sustainable rhythms for life and ministry um, going forward. And honestly, that's some of the most uh, uh, enjoyable work that we do, um, to be able to say, just rest, disconnect, and find life-giving experiences for you and your family over three to four months, uh, and uh, we're here to help you with that. Um, it, it opens up so much space for pastors to deal with the, the junk that's in their souls, you know. Um, I talk about how sometimes... Um, the, the experience of silence and solitude can feel like God's backing the fuel truck up and refilling our souls, but more often it's like God's backing the septic truck up and pumping out the, the toxic stuff that we've got within. Uh, it opens up space for grieving and lament and processing some of those difficult things, and to be able to walk with the pastor through that and, and help them re-experience joy and vitality for ministry is so much fun. Uh, I really enjoy seeing that in in their lives. So they they can get in touch with us through pirministries.org. Uh, you can go to seannemichek.com, uh, or I have a, a blog called The Pastor Soul, uh, pastorsoul.com, uh, where they can find a lot of the resources for 
burnout for sabbaticals and, and other things and can get in touch with me there too. Okay. Yeah, we'll have all three of those links in the show notes. Sean, so then just one simple gauntlet question. When in your life recently have you felt most fully and completely loved? Oh, this is my favorite question that you ask in the gauntlet. Um, and it's, it's one I've been thinking about a lot. I think um, as an Enneagram 4, uh, when people take the time to understand me, when they really are curious about me, that's when I really feel loved. Uh, I'm a fairly reserved person, and so uh, it's hard for me to, to just offer what's inside. Uh, and often I need people who are curious about me, who ask questions, who help pull that stuff out of me. And uh, when, when I have people who do that, um, it's, it's great. I have two guys that I meet with uh, most Fridays uh, that, uh, that do that for me. Um, we, we try to meet for a couple of hours and just ask what's going on in one, one another's lives, uh, probe those deep spaces within and really get down to to who are you and and we've been doing that for uh, going on three years now uh, and that has been one of the most life-giving healthy things in my life I really feel deeply loved by those guys uh, my wife is really good at it too she she's great at saying tell me what's going on and asking those questions um, so, yeah, for me, that's, that's when I feel loved, when people really want to know me. When they ask questions, they listen, and they understand. Folks, my guest is Sean Nemechek. He's the author of The Weary Leader's Guide to Burnout. He knows of which he speaks. Sean now dedicates all his time to helping particularly pastors and churches prevent burnout and really more than just prevent but experience wholeness um i'll have the final word on this one guys it's okay that you're still running on fumes there's nothing wrong with you if that's the case ministry takes it out of you we're all human we listen to sean's journey and i just think how could you not burn out with what sean was dealing with so that's true but what's also true is you do not have to do it alone it's deadly to do it alone and there are people who can help you. Sean is a prime example. So just click those show notes, get in touch with Sean, use church budget to do it. Uh, you're worth it. Um, the church will benefit. It's not selfish. So on that note, Sean, thank you so much for joining me. This has been just a rich and I think a really necessary conversation. Thank you, Steve. This has been a lot of fun. For more resources, visit stevecusswords.com or missyoualliance.org.